Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So I'm sure this happens to you being an infectious disease, but do you ever see a patient in your office for something and then like the second you leave the room, you like start manifesting their symptoms yourself? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, you know, I see a patient with COVID and then all of a sudden I get a sore throat and I think, oh, my God, I've gotten gotten COVID. So it could be contagious like that or other stuff, too. Like, you know, I see a patient with mono and then I think, God, you know, I've been tired lately. I wonder if I have mono. (laughs) (laughs) That happens to me all the time. Like if I see like a a GI illness and then I start Mm -hmm. like immediately, right, like as if I contracted it, like I'm like, oh, my God, I think I'm going to throw up. I'm a little queasy now, but nothing is quite as bad as when I see a kid with head lice. And you don't even have to see a kid with head lice, right? You just have to say the words and everybody starts like itching their scalp, right? (laughs) Yeah. And of course, like we know logically that it's not easy for lice to spread. And still like here I am like walking around scratching my head for the rest of the day. (laughs) Head lice is such a common pediatric issue. And so when we saw that the American Academy of Pediatrics recently updated their clinical practice guidance just this month, October in 2022, we thought it would be a great topic to cover um, on the podcast because this is such a common issue for parents also. Right. So everybody get out your fine tooth comb and your jar (laughs) of mayo and let's tackle lice. (laughs) So let's just start this episode off with one hard truth. Head lice can happen to anyone. Lice is not a disease of poor hygiene and should not be treated as such. Studies looking to see if there was any association with hair length, hair type, or frequency of hair washing showed no association. So we're all at equal risk for getting infected with head lice. Unless, of course, you're a Rothstein man and you have no hair at all, then you may be safe. (laughs) Sorry to the men in my family. In addition, we know that lice don't transmit disease and they're not a big health hazard. They're more of an annoyance for families. Right. So the head lice are different from body lice or louses, right? And those can transmit disease. But head lice, it's also known by the name Pediculus humanus capitus. And so that's a name that actually makes some sense, you know, compared to a lot of the other medical names that we use. And the adult head louse is about the size of a sesame seed. So they're pretty small and they feed on blood from the scalp. Ugh. The adult louse typically live up to four weeks and they can lay about 10 eggs per day. These eggs are referred to as nits and they attach really firmly to the hair shaft very close to the scalp. So the heat that comes off your scalp incubates the eggs. So you never think of yourself as having like an incubator on your head, right? But the heat uh, results in them hatching between 7 to 12 days into a nymph, and then the nymph will mature into an adult in the next 9 to 12 days. So that's the life cycle. And here's the part that will make everyone feel a little bit better. Lice do not hop or jump. They can only crawl. Right. And so that's really important because that means that the most common way that they are transmitted is by head-to-head contact. I mean, really rubbing one's head against somebody else's head that's infected. So they literally need to crawl from one person's head to another. 
And they really can only live for less than one day away from the scalp. So if they're found on things like hats, combs, or pillowcases, in most cases, they're already dead. So in one study, live louse were found on only 4% of pillowcases used by infected persons. Yeah. So when do we suspect a diagnosis of lice? I think it's common when a kid comes in and they're itching their scalp and they're constantly scratching. Well, yeah, but there are a lot of other things, of course, that can cause an itchy scalp, but that's Mm -hmm. one diagnostic clue. Interestingly, the itching that comes along with the infestation comes from the saliva of the louse, um, and it's an allergic reaction, essentially, but it takes a while for our body to, like, manifest that allergic reaction, sometimes as long as four weeks to develop the sensitization that makes you feel really itchy. Mm -hmm. So that means that some people might have head lice and have no itching, right? Right. That's right. The only sign may actually be seeing them or seeing the eggs or nits attached to the hair shaft. Um, The easiest place to spot them is going to be around the nape of the neck and behind the ears. So be careful you're not confusing these with dandruff or other different scalp conditions because this can really commonly be confused with other things. Yeah. So let's say you do discover lice while your child is at school. It's important to remember that alerting others to this may lead to some social stigma and bullying and all of those things. And so you want to use discretion about how to make sure the child gets the attention and treatment that they need while still respecting their privacy. And so because of the nature of the life cycle of allows, it's pretty likely that the child who has lice discovered that this child already had the infestation and they might have had it for even for weeks. So there's really immediately making a big deal out of it. It's, it's really not appropriate. So you don't have to send them home from school immediately. That's not necessary. You don't have to call 911. It's just, you know, just <laughs> Please everybody... don't call 911. <laughs> right. You can go ahead and counsel the child on avoiding head-to-head contact with other people and call their caregiver to discuss the likely diagnosis and recommended treatment options. We recommend not withholding a child from school with lice, which we can talk more about later. But let's talk about some of the most common treatment options. So the treatment that we're going to be discussing in this episode is focused on the most commonly used and FDA-approved medications in the United States. And don't worry, we'll also touch on those home remedies that your mother-in-law swears by. Yeah, so let's start with the most commonly used medications in the U.S. because they're available to buy over-the-counter without a prescription, and they work pretty well. So the two main ones you'll see are permethrin and pyrethrins. And these compounds are extracted from flowers in the chrysanthemum family, or they're synthetic compounds that mimic the same structure as these compounds. And they're neurotoxins to the lice, and they cause paralysis and then ultimately death of the louse. Permethrin 1% lotion is likely the most widely used here in the U.S. The brand name is NYX, but thankfully it's also available in generic options, and it's approved for children over two months old. After washing the hair with a non-conditioning shampoo, we know that conditioner can prevent the medication from adhering to the hair shaft, which is what we want. You're going to apply the permethrin and leave it on for 10 minutes and then rinse it out. So the hair should not be washed for the next 24 to 48 hours to allow the medication to continue to work. And this recommendation for not washing the hair, that's a uniform recommendation 
for all of the topically applied medicines. You want to repeat this process nine days after the initial treatment if any remaining live lice are still seen. Another popular over-the-counter medication is pyrethrin mixed with piperonyl butoxide, and this is used also to treat lice. The brand name is RID, but there's generics of this one also. And this preparation is approved for kids two years and older. You apply it on dry hair, rinse out again after 10 minutes, and again may need to retreat in nine days if live lice are seen. Unfortunately, recently we're seeing higher and higher rates of lice that are resistant to permethrin and pyrethrins. If there is known resistance in a community or a child's lice has not responded to conventional treatment, then a stronger medication may be needed. And we know that ivermectin has gotten a lot of negative publicity recently, Mm -hmm. but unlike for COVID, this is actually an effective medication for killing lice. Correct, Dr. Dean? Yeah, it's an anti-parasitic, and lice are ectoparasites, right? They're parasites Mm -hmm. on the outside of the body. Right. Um, So it's available over-the-counter as a 0.5% lotion. It's approved for ages six months and up. It's applied to the same way as the others, to dry hair, rinsed off after 10 minutes. However, usually you only need one application of this. Oral ivermectin pills are approved for adults with lice that's not responsive to topical therapies, and this medication does require a prescription. While it's not FDA-approved for children for life specifically, it can be used safely in kids for other conditions. So um, it's used in resistant cases of lice and often considered as a, as a backup treatment. And I don't think this needs to be said, but you should not use the formulation that's made for animals or veterinary medicine in humans because these formulations are different and they have not been tested or approved for human use. Malathion is another medication. It's approved for six years and older, and it's a lotion that's applied to dry hair, left to air dry, and then washed off after 8 to 12 hours. The hair should not be shampooed for 24 to 48 hours, and then if live lice are still seen, it can be repeated again after nine days. But usually you don't have to repeat this one. Is it malathion or malathion? Tomato, tomato. (laughs) This has the highest cure rate of all of the topical therapies after a single application. Right, but it does have significant side effects if ingested. So it's an organophosphate, so it can be toxic. And it's also highly flammable. So don't use any like hot air tools after using it, or you may have a bigger problem than just lice on your hands. Yeah, you don't want to, you know, catch your entire head on fire. While that may kill your lice, it's also may kill your self-esteem for the next few months. The last medication we'll discuss is Spinosad. This does require a prescription from your doctor. It's approved for six months and older. You apply it to dry hair, rinse out after 10 minutes, and you can repeat the treatment in seven days. I don't know why this one is seven days as opposed to nine days. That's probably how it was studied. You probably could do nine and it would be fine. Yeah, exactly. That's how it was studied. Yeah. So in general, permethrin and pyrethrins will be tried first. And then if they're unsuccessful, meaning they're still live lice three weeks after proper treatment, or if there's very known high rates of resistance in the community, then depending on the age of the child, then you would move to topical ivermectin, malathion, or spinosad. And beware that many of these topical medications can cause the scalp to react or itch or burn. And that does not mean that treatment has failed. It just means that you're not reacting well to this, you know, strong medication that was put on your scalp. 
yeah, that can be pretty tricky to figure out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we want to also stress the importance of supervising your child while using these medications. So wear gloves, make sure you prevent possible ingestion. And then um, with the medication, any leftover medication, lock them up and out of reach of children when you're done using them. But let's also talk about what if parents want to avoid these medications altogether and try like a more natural method first. Yeah, so I think most people in my parents' generation were used to trying those home remedies first. Mm-hmm. What what were your go-to home remedies? Oh, yeah. You know, parents would sometimes use gasoline. Oh, God. Not recommended. <laughs> not recommended at all. No, yeah. And mayonnaise was a common one. Oh, yeah. Of course. Mayonnaise, Vaseline, olive oil, all of these things that are essentially working to, like, smother the lice. And you need to leave these products on, obviously, for a significant amount of time. If they are going to kill the lice, and they're probably going to need to be repeated multiple times over that three-week life cycle to try and and kill all of them. You know, there was a study that showed good success treating lice with Cetaphil cleanser applied to the hair and then dried on with a handheld hair dryer, left on overnight, and then washed out the next morning and repeating this once a week for three weeks. So this isn't an FDA-approved treatment, but, you know, for parents who want to avoid the traditional medications, they could try that. It would be an alternative. Yeah, we'll put the instructions on our website. There are also people who swear by things like essential oils. Again, these are like very concentrated oils, and they can cause their own issues with skin sensitivities. Allergic reactions can be toxic if ingested by children, um, and they're not FDA-approved. So... Again, if you're going to try one of these sort of off-label, more holistic things, just be wary of the fact that they come with their own risks as well. Mm -hmm. So regardless of which of these methods you decide to use, you may want to work to remove the lice and nits manually as well. So there are special fine-tooth combs available for this specific purpose, and it's really easiest to use these on wet hair. So once one person at home has lice, does everyone in the house need to be treated? You know, not necessarily. It's not that common that everybody in a household gets um, infected, but all contacts should be checked, and only those who share a bed or have direct head-to-head contact should be treated. You want to make sure you clean bedding, hats, stuffed animals that may have had prolonged contact with the hair by washing them in hot water and drying on high heat. We know that lice and nits are killed by exposure for five minutes or more to temperatures greater than 130 degrees. So that's an effective method at killing them. If you can't wash and dry them, then you can put them into a bag and just kind of like wait out their death because if they can't feed, then they're going to, you know, die within a week. You're going to starve them to death. So particulicide spray is not necessary and really should be used around the house because it's not good for people to be exposed to that. Right. And remember, of course, like we mentioned, that lice affects all walks of life, all socioeconomic statuses and backgrounds and skin colors, and it's really hard to avoid. Um, And so anytime your kid comes home and says they have lice, don't feel sad or, you know, like, oh, what could I have done to prevent this? It's just part of childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, So when can a kid go back to school after their lice has been treated? So kids should be able to continue to go to school throughout their treatment for head lice. And previously, many schools had a no-knit policy, meaning that all knits had to be gone from the scalp prior to re-entry to school. 
Right. But the American Academy of Pediatrics and the National Association of School Nurses advocate for no more of these no-knit policies at school. They're not productive for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, that's right. So knits which are close to the scalp are usually not viable after treatment, and they're very unlikely to hatch to become crawling lice or may in fact be empty shells, also known as casings. Right. And in addition, knits are cemented to the hair shafts are very, very unlikely to be transferred to other people. And so there's going to be this burden of unnecessary absenteeism from school and they're going to get behind on their homework. And so the really the burden to families and the communities outweighs the benefits of keeping them home. Mm -hmm. So say no to no knit policies. We hope our discussion today helped you learn a little bit more about the diagnosis and treatment of those pesky, itchy bugs, louse. It's louse is the plural for lice. Oh, don't have to think no, the other way it's the around. <laughs> yeah, an individual, an individual. I hate these things. Is a, is a louse. A louse. Right? An individual is a louse, and a plural is lice. Okay, good. I'm glad that we straightened that out at the end <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> so let's summarize the main points from our discussion on lice. So head lice is a common childhood infection. It can infect any child, regardless of hair type, socioeconomic circumstances, and hygiene. The life cycle is about three weeks, and they go from nits, those are the eggs, they attach close to the scalp on the hair shaft, and then they hatch into nymphs, which then go on to become louse. Itching is the primary symptom of head lice, although asymptomatic infection occurs also. There are great treatments, some of which are available over the counter. Usually we recommend starting with permethrin or pyrethrins. If unsuccessful, moving to topical ivermectin, malathion, or spinosad. Lastly, you would go to oral ivermectin. Yeah, some of these are available over the counter and others are by prescription. If you want to give some of the home remedies a try, then they may help and they're unlikely to be harmful, but just be aware that they can cause other skin sensitivities. Remember that head lice is not an emergency. Children don't have to be immediately removed from school. Try not to stigmatize the children like that. And no knit policies are not necessary and not recommended at reducing spread of lice. And that reminds me of a joke. Let's hear it. So what do scientists do if they can't figure out why lice have become resistant to treatments? Why? I don't know. They just scratch their heads. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love a good nerdy lice joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't watch a lot of TV shows, but I did come across one episode of The Office. Did uh -huh. you see the episode where there was head lice? <laughs> No. So the person, I, now I can't remember which character brings it in, but there's one of the characters brings it in to the office, and then and th that person is totally stigmatized. <laughs> and then people, like, start shaving their hair off and putting mayonnaise on each other's head. I mean, it was, it was like a total goofball thing that we would, like, not recommend following that as a strategy. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I actually, knock on wood, watch, I'm going to come to you next week and say... Uh-oh, Dr. Dean, I have lice. But I've never had lice. <laughs> have you had lice? Not as far as I know. I've never had I've never had lice, no. Yeah, so some people get away with not having it, but many do get it and it's just one of those I always say like here's your badge of honor like when someone gets hand, foot and mouth disease or lice or whatever, you know, like, oh yep, there's your pediatric routine 
illness badge. It's like you're a Girl Scout. You can collect all of your badges. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that we talked about with lice, I mean, it's really it's head-to-head contact. And as an adult, how many people do you have head-to-head contact with on a daily basis? Like maybe only your family, right? Yeah, yes. Right, and you might not even snuggle really with that. your husband or your daughter, right? You might have head-to-head contact, but otherwise you're having like none, no head-to-head <laughs> contact. So it's really kids and they're yeah. like goofing around, right? Yeah, they're all over each other, mm-hmm. climbing all over each other, you know. Yes, absolutely. So that's why it's mostly a disease of pediatrics, which we get to treat. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.